When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye Talk is about to begin Hey, 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 come on in Welcome back to another Buckeye Retalkables. Man, we got another good one. Cleveland.com, Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, Stephen Means, fourth in a series. And this is 2017 Ohio State versus Penn State. We put this out to our tech subscribers. We said we want to do a Penn State game, but which one should we do? Uh, did not give the option of 2014, because I think we're going to get to 2014 eventually, and we want to break it up among seasons. But they've played so many good games recently. We gave Texers the option of the 2018 comeback led by Dwayne Haskins. We gave them the option of the 2016 loss uh, when Ohio State blocked the field goal and beat Penn, and uh, beat, when Penn State blocked the field goal and beat Ohio State. I had a feeling the Texters wouldn't choose that one. Not a, not a surprise there. And uh, the 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 Braxton Miller game from 2012, the juke in the end zone that uh, was actually a really good game for a long time. But this 2017 game was the overwhelming favorite. And now that we have watched it and, and put it in context a little bit, and we're going to break it down here on Buckeye Retalkable. Steven, what did you think of the idea that this was the one that the Texters picked? Not surprising. This is arguably JT Barrett's best game as a Buckeye. Um, and the stats back that up. I don't know necessarily in rewatching the game, I that's completely backed up. But, yeah, I mean, comeback victory against Penn State, I'm not surprised that this is the one they chose. 65% chose this game. 15% chose 2018, 14% chose 2012, and 7% decided let's look at a loss, the, uh, the 2016 game. This was a big game, and Nathan, as we got into this, I will say you don't see a ton of games, especially in the Big Ten, where Ohio State is the lower-ranked team going into a game. This was number two Penn State, which people have to remember about this. Penn State undefeated. Ohio State had lost to Oklahoma in the non-conference. This is number two versus number six. What did you think of that, Nathan, as you tuned, tuned into this, that the Buckeyes were lower in the polls? Well, I think that's almost refreshing. It would be nice to have that be something that Ohio State has to deal with in the future. I think it, it makes them better. I think it makes the Big Ten better. I know it's not necessarily – certainly not an easier path to the playoff or anything for them, but as we were talking about the other day – um, I, you know, I, I think the, the this was at kind of at a point where I thought the Big Ten was really sort of surging in terms of the respect that it had. I mean, you had to have two teams up, up there the way they did. Um, compare that to now where I think, you know, Ohio State has really kind of ran away and hid on a plane of its own right now in the Big Ten. And there's other teams, Penn State being one of them, that are sort of trying to pull themselves up to that same level, but it, it's not the same. And um, how, how refreshing kind of would it be? How much fun would it be to have, you know, a higher ranked team coming into Ohio stadium and Ohio state is kind of the team that has something to prove that day. We haven't seen that in a while. I guess it's only been three years, but still. This game was played on October 28th, 2017. 
coming in, Penn State had started the year number six. They beat Akron, Pitt, Georgia State. They won a close one at Iowa. They blew out Indiana. They blew out Northwestern. And then they had played Michigan the week before. Penn State had gone into that game ranked number two. Michigan was number 19. And Penn State won that game 42 to 13. So that's how much Penn State was rolling coming to the, into this game. Ohio State, again, as we said, had the one loss in week two to Oklahoma. They had opened with the win over Indiana. They lose to Oklahoma 31-16. Then they beat Army. They beat UNLV. They shut out Rutgers. They blew out Maryland. They blew out Nebraska. So they really had not been tested. Ohio State was number two in the polls entering this season. When they played Oklahoma, they were number two. Oklahoma was number five. They lose that game. Ohio State wound up dropping as low as 11th in the polls. They were back up to number six by the time this game was played. However, do you guys, did you guys look this up? Do you know what the betting line was on this game? Steven, no. Nathan, no? I no. know. So we're talking about that Penn State's rolling everybody. Ohio State has the one loss and hadn't played anybody good. Who would you guess? What would you guess the betting line was? Steven, you go first. Ohio State minus seven. Nathan? Uh, I think it would be closer than that. I would say maybe Ohio State minus one and a half. Steven got it basically exactly. Six and a half. Hey. So that's the, that's a thing where this, right, there's this lingering. And it's actually kind of a little weird to me when you think about it. Penn State had won the year before. Mm-hmm. Penn State's looking great. It is in Columbus, which actually I think kind of matters in this game, the way it played out. But I was a little surprised that the betting line was six and a half. Um, I picked Ohio State to win. I picked Ohio State to win. All three of us on the beat that year picked Ohio State to win. And I will tell you where I was sort of in my evaluation of Ohio State at that point. I wrote a column the week of that game that said Penn State was better last year. Ohio State is better this year. Because I was very big on the fact that I thought in 2016 – People thought the Penn State win over Ohio State was more of a fluke, and I thought it wasn't. I thought it proved over the course of the rest of that year, Penn State proved they were a better team. I thought Penn State should have gotten in the playoff instead of Ohio State. And I think the way the Bulls played out, Penn State played an awesome Rose Bowl with a really good USC team, barely lost to Sam Darnold, and Ohio State got blown off the field by Clemson. I think in 2016, Penn State was better. But now here we were, Penn State was higher ranked, but I thought I had seen things with Ohio State this, this importantly – importantly, importantly, was year one of Ryan Day. This was a transformational year for the Ohio State offense. And I thought the passing game was coming around. So that is what I was leaning into as you tried to scout out this game. I thought Ohio State would be able to throw it. And I did, in my column, one of the big things I did was the yards per attempt for Trace McSorley and JT Barrett. In 2016, Trace McSorley yards per attempt, 9.3. JT Barrett, 6.7. So that in 2016, JT Barrett was dink and dunk, and and Trace McSorley had some guys that he could throw it down the field, and they would go up and get it. Coming into this game in 2017 yards per attempt, Barrett, 8.9. McSorley, 8.2. So Barrett was up by more than two yards per attempt. McSorley was down a yard per attempt, and they were throwing the ball down the field more. And I thought that was going to be a different – Ohio State team. In 2016, passes of 11 yards or more, it was McSorley 38, Barrett 12. 
right? Just one team threw it down the field in 16 and one didn't. In 2017, coming into this game, it was Barrett 11, McSorley 9. So it's not like, you know, Ohio State was doing a little better, but Penn State still wasn't the same team. So I really thought, I ended that column by saying, Penn State is the number two team in the nation, but unlike last year, the Nittany Lions aren't the best team in the Big Ten. Ohio State is. And then Penn State promptly came out and took like a three-touchdown lead. <laughs> so that was par for the course for Doug Maurice. So we are going to get into all of our categories and our breakdowns. We do this every time. We have categories that our tech subscribers helped us come up with. We have a format that we do. We've done 2015 Virginia Tech. We did the 2010 Rose Bowl against Oregon. We did 1995 Notre Dame. We are now doing this 39-38 comeback win for Ohio State against Penn State on October 28th, 2017. And we start off with who owned the game and who owned it, Stephen Means. JT Barrett, obviously. I mean, the last, the four, in the fourth quarter, he was 13 of 13 for 170 yards and three touchdowns for the game. 33 of 39, 328 yards and four touchdowns. I mean, he had the game, game-winning touchdown pass to Marcus Ball at the end of the game. I mean, yeah, yeah, he's he's the reason why, he's the comeback. He's the reason why they won this game. So it's even if he had some moments where uh, I, his passing came a long way, but it was still there were a lot of times where I felt like he was waiting to the last minute to make throws. Um, and some of the play calling was just off, and we'll get into that. But just based off, you know, the statistics, the fact that he had the game-winning touchdown pass, how he played in the fourth quarter, he clearly owned the game. Thirty-three of thirty-nine. For the entire game, as you yeah, mentioned, yeah. the perfect fourth quarter, 328 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions. Nathan, who owned it? So, Saquon Barkley, I've been covering high school, Big Ten football now for probably, I don't know, 10, 12 years, something like that. Saquon Barkley is the best player I've ever seen in the Big Ten in that span. Maybe the best player I've seen in college football in that span. What he was around this era was just there's a separation there from anybody I've ever seen. I'm not really sure who number two on the list is. And in the opening play of that game, when he breaks that off, you think this is going to be the day – this is going to be one of those games where he just has one of those, like, anointed moments. Like, he just becomes a, a god in front of our eyes. And then Ohio State bottled him up, really, for the most part, for the rest of this game. I, I thought – maybe this should go more in the unsung heroes, but I, I thought this game was – in the end of the game, when you look back, the game in some ways was won by Ohio State not letting Saquon Barkley be Saquon Barkley for most of this game. Yeah, they had to screw up on special teams to start the game that got him loose, but I would give a lot of credit to, to Sam Hubbard, to Jerome Baker. I thought those guys stepped up and, and led that defensive front and, and limited Barkley in a way that most teams couldn't at that time. 21 carries, 44 yards, and he had a 36-yard touchdown in that. So right. his other mm -hmm. 20 carries – went for a total of eight yards. Yeah. As good of a running back as you will ever see in college football. It I mean, he, was he, remarkable. I'm not wrong, right? Like, where would you put him? Just, I mean, Doug, you've been covering Big Ten football longer than me, obviously. And I just I, – I, 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 it's hard to describe how great he was at that time. Like, he just did things on a field. The only player I've seen – and I know people hate when they hear – when they say stuff like this. The only player I've seen that did things like what he did was Rondell Moore. I thought you were going to say the only player that I've seen that compares in the Big Ten is Mike Allstott. Um, <laughs> no, no. That's, a, that's even before my time, fortunately. I mean, I remember him when I was in high school or whatever. But 
so, I mean, listen, of, of all the, you know, again, of all the things I'm ever wrong about, I, I have a very, very clear memory, memory in 2015 uh, of this guy coming in as a freshman. And in 2015, in a 38-10 loss to Ohio State, Saquon Barkley rushed it 26 times for 194 yards. And I thought, what, like, not I thought, the whole world thought, like, who is that guy? Because that was only the third, his freshman year, that was only the third 100-yard rushing game of his career. He had 103 against Michigan State, 120 against Northwestern. Coming into that game, Penn State's two and three. And they come to Columbus, and a freshman running back drops 194 yards on Ohio State. In 2015, in the year where you think Ohio State is building a mini dynasty. So that guy, that they bottled up that guy. And this is two years later, that he's back again two years later, and they bottle him up. But he is as talented as any player I've seen play against Ohio State ever, right? I mean, and I love Deshaun Watson. Um, you know, they've played a lot of a great guys over the years. But, but individually, and, and that kickoff return, just the absolute speed, and then we know he's going to go on and be the number two pick in the draft. I mean, Steven, you watch that opening kickoff return, and you think, well, that's it. This should have been his Heisman moment. This game, right? I mean, Gus and Joe Klatt calling it. What did uh, Joe Klatt called him? And I'm, I'm, this, he called him a, a feather of lead, which I think is like the perfect way to describe a good running back. You know, he's as fast and he's as light as a, as a, as a feather, but then when he hits contact, he, he turns into lead. I don't even – the way he described it was so much – we called him a feather of lead. Yeah, this should have been his Heisman moment. That, that should have been the start of it, and he should have had another day where he had 150-plus yards, maybe two or three touchdowns, and this should have catapulted him up to number one on the Heisman race. But instead, you know, he didn't even get to New York this year. He finishes fourth. Finished fourth in the mm-hmm. Heisman voting behind Baker Mayfield, Bryce Love, and Lamar Jackson. And, and the thing about players like Barkley is usually – when they get bottled up, it's the fact that they don't get taken for big losses. They turn that somehow into still getting back to line of scrimmage, getting a yard. Like they're just so elusive, so tough to take down. And so many times in this game, you caught him. He looked um, very mortal in this game. Like so many times where he gets turned around in the backfield and all of a sudden he's looking and now there's, you know, the, the play, obviously we don't have to talk about later where Sheffield almost gets him for a safety. Like there just always seemed to be someone there for Ohio state to take him down. Um, and maybe it cost him in other ways defensively, but at the end of the day, I mean, the, the fact that they kept him bottled up is, I think, how they were still able to win this game, considering the way it started. And, and the, the reason we're talking about this, uh, he did have three or four catches for 23. Also, they had a little more success throwing him the ball than they did running it. But again, to rush it 20 times and get 40 yards, and one of them's a 36-yard run, because the 36-yard touchdown run was unbelievable. And it's like, how did that only happen once? He had the kickoff return, and then that touchdown, and that was it. He did not hurt Ohio State the rest of that game. But the reason we're talking about this and who owned the game is because you're saying, Nathan, people stopped him. And this is that group. This is, it's important to talk about this group. It's the four-man defensive end rotation where Chase Young is the fifth guy. But it's Nick Bosa, Sam Hubbard, Jalen Holmes, and Tyquan Lewis on that defensive line. And then Jerome Baker. This was a good Jerome Baker game. Jerome Baker is like the exact right kind of linebacker to chase Trace, Trace McSorley. It's very confusing. It was hard to trace Trace McSorley as he was chased by Chase Young. There's a lot of traces and chases. Chase was the fifth defensive end, but Jerome Baker, whether he's chasing Trace McSorley, whether he's tracking down Saquon Barkley, Jerome Baker is a running back. 
And there were times where he looked it's like, oh, who can tackle Saquon Barkley? It's like, we have a running back here who can tackle him. Because that's what Jerome Baker was in high school. Really good game for him. There's a game, in, a point, a play in particular to me that stands out. Just like a wide run. Jerome just busts through a block and is just has that speed to track a guy down. But that defensive line, Nathan, that's what you're talking about. That defensive line, they sort of penned Barkley in. Almost like you do with the quarterback sometimes where you say, hey, we're going to rush the quarterback, but keep your contain. Don't let him get outside the pocket. They almost put a fence around Barkley when he got the ball. And that's why there were a lot of plays, Nathan, where he ended up trying to almost like he would start to go somewhere and then stop and cut back. He'd try to run backwards. And they just like never let him get to the edge. I mean, pinned in is a good way to put it. Like he, it felt like sometimes like he was in this little maze in the backfield trying to find the route that would just get him, like I said, just back to the line of scrimmage. And he couldn't even do that a lot of times. Just um, as this game went on, you, it was just, it became more vivid that like they have something going on here against a player that most people just get uh, waxed by. And Ohio State's figured something out. Now they still gave up 38 points. So it's not like it was, um, a, a perfect defensive performance, but when you take, you know, considering the way it started, considering um, how, how deep of a hole they were in, I, I don't think there's any chance they win this game if they don't f- have that solution for that problem. This was a very weird game. I, I very much remember talking about it at the time, talking about it afterward. Ohio State got in such a hole early, and it, it will simultaneously like Ohio State was completely outplaying Penn State and also completely getting blown off the field. Because for the game, Ohio State outgained Penn State 529 yards to 283. So the Penn State offense never got anything going consistently. But they had the kick return. They had a couple short fields. Like the Ohio State had a lot of special teams problems in this game. And so – when, when I remember that when like going to halftime and Ohio State was down and I can't I, I can remember saying like I can't tell if they're they're lucky to only be down 28 17 at the half like Ohio State should be down more or should it actually be like 40 to nothing like should Ohio State be losing by more because it, it just it felt so weird that Ohio State was moving the ball but they weren't converting anything and Penn State was converting everything so I do think to mention the the defensive line as owning the game I think is a very important valid point here but I do want to get back to the other guy who owned the game this is a quote from Urban Meyer after the game I've never had a kid play perfect but damn he was close tonight 33 of 39 I can count four drops off the top of my head and two penalties that kept him from big completions and he'd be the first one to tell you he's a product of those around him, which he is. That's the number one defense in America, and Penn State was coming into the game. We have great respect for them, and I just can't – I'm just so proud of JT Barrett. So Urban Meyer was almost at a loss for words after this game. And this clearly was, as Stephen, as you said, not the game, not the whole game, but that quarter was the best JT Barrett ever played at Ohio State, the best he ever played. And that's why it's important to do this because JT Barrett is such an interesting figure in Ohio State football history. I don't want to say controversial or like divisive. He's not controversial. Like he's he's like a a great dude, but he is divisive kind of in how people view him and view his career. And we've talked about the stats before and he won a lot of games, but how good was he? He was so good in this fourth quarter. And this is the theory I always had about JT. And Steven, you you kind of caught it in watching the game. 
I thought JT, when, he, when his back was against the wall, he was a better player. Because in a two-minute drill, when his team was down, when he had to make a throw on third down, he didn't have a choice to say, you know what, I'm not going to throw it. He was so averse to interceptions, I think he didn't take enough chances. And I, ta- I wrote about this his whole career. But then in the fourth quarter, when you're down, what they're down, they're down three scores. You can't wait for like the perfect opening. You're down 35-20, and then you're down 38-27. You've got to let it rip. And when forced to let it rip, he did let it rip. Although, Stephen, as you said, sometimes he still waited until the last possible second to let it rip. And what's interesting is, and uh, looking for the video to watch this, I actually found a video of JT Bear from Cleveland.com back in the day when you were talking to him. I, and he was asked about, what do you think are some of the differences between you now and when you're in your first year as a starter? He admitted to it, that maybe he waits for the openings in a way that he didn't when he was a true freshman and when he was just letting it rip. But, yeah, I, I – his receivers didn't help him out some early on. Paris Campbell had the fumble. Uh, Benjamin F- Victor had the fumble, which was later converted to a holding penalty, so they got to keep the ball. K.J. Hill, of all people, dropped the ball and even had a muff punt later on in the game. But, yeah, in that fourth quarter, still, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't 2014 J.T. Barrett, but he also wasn't 2016 and 2015 J.T. Barrett. He was somewhere in the mix of that, and it was good enough to get a win. I do say, we, I don't know exactly, I don't think I put this in a specific category, but, like, those receivers, so K.J. Hill wound up 12 catches for 102. Austin Mack was six catches for 90. Johnny Dixon, I thought, actually played really well. He had three catches yeah. for 56 and two scores. Terry McLaurin, two for 34. Marcus Baugh, two for 20. Paris Campbell, one for five. They weren't it. That was like I had a hard time with that receiver group their whole career here because they played for so long. They played like in 16 and 17 and 18. And, like, that's not it. Like, that was not – they were not making unbelievable plays. You know, they were kind of leaving some stuff on the field. When they ran a good route – and I, well, we can get into more Ryan Day stuff. There were a couple good routes, right? I mean, like, Johnny's touchdown was a good route where they kind of got a little play off the line of scrimmage yeah. where he ran behind Marcus Baugh and freed himself up. They had a couple good routes, but a lot of times, like, they are not getting a ton of separation. They are not – you know, if they're, if they're – the ball hits him in the chest. They'll catch it. Austin Mack. There's some flashes of young Austin Mack here. And maybe he never quite, because of some injuries and other things, never quite got to where you might thought he might get. But flashes of young Austin Mack. But, you know, we're kind of hitting a lot of the main things here early. Nathan, you, we know what you said about the defensive line. We need to get your thoughts on JT Barrett and this passing game. Because obviously, I mean, this will be a game that people always remember for JT Barrett. Having not covered it, what did you think of JT and this passing game and rewatching this? Well, I mean, JT was impressive, obviously. I don't think that's certainly not a wrong answer to say that he owned this game and especially the way that he closed this out. I mean, that was, yeah, a, a signature performance. And and um, I, I was impressed with him in this game. I mean, we, I think we've seen clips of him in other capacities and you don't necessarily see a um, what I guess right now is is the way that we look at quarterbacks as far as the way. I don't know. I, comparing him to someone like Justin Fields, comparing him even to someone like Dwayne Haskins, it does seem like Ohio State has moved like another step up in terms of what they can put out there at quarterback, um, not to take anything away from what, what Barrett did. I, I see what you're saying, though, as far as the receiving core. And I, I think that that, I mean, it was interesting that that's still lingering in some ways in the last year, right? I mean, you finally had people like Chris Olave and, and Garrett Wilson that were breaking through. But in an offense and defense, this game, you know, this game, was the foundation for what we watched last year. I mean, there was a lot of uh, 
still some defensive connections and certainly on offense um, at the skill positions, whether it was Dobbins, whether it was these receivers, um, this was the foundation that was laid for the 2019 offense in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's, it's year one of Ryan Day. You saw some, they had a good crossing route concept that got Austin Mack open early, and, and they did run some routes that got guys open. It just – there were not receivers. Like, it's kind of what we're expecting with, you know, Garrett Wilson types. And Chris Olave has shown it. Chris Olave has done that. Chris Olave will make plays on his own and go up and get the ball and then just, like, run super precise routes and get open by several yards. And I just didn't feel like that's what these guys did on a regular basis. Steven, so do you to, agree with that? that, that that's I, just not what they did. I do. And they ran a slot fade. To, to K.J. Hill in the end zone, and K.J. Hill dropped it. And all I thought about the entire time was, they're going to do that with Garrett Wilson this year, and he's going to catch that ball. He's going to catch that ball a couple of times. So as, as soon as they read it, that's all that came into my mind was Garrett Wilson in that same position, making that catch that K.J. Hill wasn't able to do. And it, it doesn't really seem like a group, a, a, a whole receiving core full of possession receivers in a lot of ways. That's probably not completely fair to someone like Johnny Dixon, maybe. Um, but even that, I mean, there just wasn't that, that great separation you're talking about. And, and I remember making a note here that, like, there was a play where K.J. Hill kind of went up the seam, and it was almost more of like a vertical route for him, and he made a nice catch, and they, they got yards out of it. But then I'm also thinking, like, man, like, if that guy really had some wheels, like, what could that play have been? Like, that's where they really needed someone with another gear that, that K.J. Hill really doesn't have. As great as K.J. Hill was at what he did, that wasn't really his job, and he was getting used that way more in this game than, I, than we certainly saw last year, I thought, as far as like trying to even get him vertical a little bit. Um, and, and they needed something else. They needed Chris Olave. They needed someone like that. And these guys are all on their path. None of, none of these guys are done after this year. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, the, the, this is Terry McLaurin, Johnny Dixon, Paris Campbell, K.J. Hill. They're all back in 18, and K.J. Hill is still back in 19. So they're all on their path. And then Austin Mack and Ben Victor are young guys, right? And they have a lot still ahead of them. But, I mean, if you just look, and this is – I mean, it's very interesting about Terry McLaurin. Terry McLaurin in his Ohio State career truly was fine. He was not great. He was not devastatingly great. Now, he was better with Dwayne than he was with JT, for sure. And there was the balance. And I had a hard time with it all along these two years. I couldn't tell – were receivers holding the quarterback back or was the quarterback holding the receivers back? Yeah. yeah. It's hard to tell. (laughs) Now they certainly put up much bigger numbers in 18 with Dwayne. So I think maybe you would say, well, the answer was JT was holding back Paris Campbell and Johnny Dixon and Terry McLaurin and KJ Hill. But then as you said, Steven, there's a big KJ Hill drop. Nathan, you said KJ makes a nice catch. He's not exactly super explosive. Paris Campbell has a gigantic fumble early on. Right. I mean, it's still it's they're not it. I, I have a, I have a very hard time with this. It was very almost not not frustrating, but it was like I'm tr- you, tr- you get paid to analyze this team. And I could never tell what the right answer was. And I think it was that they were all f- kind of pretty good, but never exactly. But then when you think, OK, what Justin Fields, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson can be in 2020 compared to this. It's what you said, Nathan, and, and Stephen, you're on the – it's just another level we're expecting. Right, Stephen? All six of his incompletions were both of those combined. It was like – there was the one deep ball to Johnny Dixon where it was just too short, and it should have been a touchdown pass. But also, Johnny Dixon should have been able to make that catch because that's – as a wide receiver, sometimes you have to make your, your quarterback look good. It's the drops. It's the waiting too long to throw passes. It's – he only had six incompletions, but all of them defined everything we're talking about right now. He had a miss in the end zone that he was a little late to Terry McLaurin, I think it was. Mm-hmm. That could have been a big play. 
they got lucky late in, in, the, in the fourth quarter. There was like a lob to the, to the end zone with Ben Victor where pass interference was called yeah. that bailed him out that was not any kind of great thing or whatever. That The Penn State defense, I mean, uh, JT Barrett, I don't, want, I don't want retalkables to turn into like, let's remember historic Ohio State performances and have Doug tear them down. <laughs> Why the spin move wasn't as good as you thought. Why JT Barrett's immaculate perfect fourth quarter actually wasn't that good. That's not what I want to do here, but it is it just as a reminder. I mean, he ripped some, he absolutely ripped some, but what's out there for them this year is just at a different level. But I do think both worked in concert. I think in the end to only say that only JT Barrett owned it, I think, wouldn't it be right? Because what the defensive line and Jerome Baker did to contain Saquon Barkley sort of allowed the opportunity for, for JT Barrett to be down three scores in the fourth quarter or whatever. I mean, God, they dug themselves a hole. It's just unbelievable to think about. Okay. We'll get, I'm sure there's times that we'll get back to this because it really is the thing. We'll, we'll get back to some more plays in that fourth quarter, but let's move on. We've really set the table here for this 39-38 comeback win. By the way, two blown two-point conversions late, which is like they're lucky they, that that didn't matter. The JT Barrett underappreciated player of the game it's a category we do I, I don't think JT Barrett will win this category in this game where he's super famous for it Nathan who's your JT Barrett underappreciated player it was trending to be KJ Hill but like I said I don't think he finished the game that strong there were some um, some some drops and such so I went with Jordan Fuller um, he led Ohio State in tackles in this game, uh, you know, a sophomore having a, a big day back there at safety. Also, that, that tackle for loss on Barkley on, um, in the third quarter that forced a fourth down, I thought was a huge play considering that juncture of the game. Just one of those guys on defense that maybe you don't is, – isn't making necessarily a big flash play until then, but just, you know, a, a steady presence on a day where they needed every tackle they could get. Steven. Yeah, both of those guys on my list just because, them, for the most part, they were misreliable in what they were their entire careers. But I'm going to go with Denzel Ward. Um, and one of the reasons why is he was the cornerback on, on Penn State's last two passes of the game. And obviously Jordan Fuller was in on one of them as well. But forced incompletions. He also had the interception that was turned into a touchdown. But that's a heck of a play on the ball if they're able to hold on to that. And, and we, we live in a world where re- review doesn't exist. But also he blocked a punt where – Nobody touched him, literally. They had three guys back there for a safety valve and making sure that there was no block punt, and nobody was paying attention to the future number four pick in the NFL draft. He had the easiest route to get there, and I showed some speed, but I don't, they didn't have to do anything. He just came off the edge to block that punt. So he made some game-changing play. Only two tackles, but he was a part of some game-changing plays in that one where it doesn't necessarily show up in the box score, but you have to, you have to talk about when you're talking about this game. No offense, blocked punts show up in the box score. So I mean, like, outside of that, everything. Like, outside of, stuff outside that. of the play that saved the game, he was underappreciated. I, we'll get into this now. We have to get into it. I wouldn't – I mean, he's huge in this game. That play – and we have a game-saving play thing, but you brought it up now. I don't think they win if he doesn't block the punt. Like it, and it's weird. When, when we get into the game-saving plays, I mean, there are so many things that you think yeah. are a huge thing. And then actually, I wrote down like five different game-changing plays, and there's one in particular that I'm excited to talk about that then did not turn out to be game-changing plays. But that one, Nathan, it's a difference of their punting. And where they're punting, where Penn State's punting in the fourth quarter, it's going to get them – Ohio State's going to take over probably around the 10 or 15-yard line with only a decent punt. Instead, Ohio State takes over on, their, on the Penn State 41, 
it saves probably 50 yards of field position at a time when not only did Ohio State have to score, but they had to score kind of quickly. So time is of the essence. I don't think they win if Denzel doesn't block that punt. Well, I mean, it, it got you everything you needed at that point. And it isn't just field position, but also the, the momentum that you needed at that point. Now, like you said at the start of this, I think the fact that this game was at Ohio Stadium was a factor the same way that if it had been played in Penn State, it probably would have been a factor in the other way if the game had started that way. And they would have just had, you know, really riled up the, the entire hundred and whatever thousand at, at Beaver Stadium. And and they, they, they needed that. They needed to... To, to, re, to be back on top. They needed to kind of get that position again, and that was the kind of play that does it. Um, and, and especially considering how close he had been and in other ways, there was I think there was also that factors into a little bit, like a guy who he was in position for that interception, but it didn't happen. Um, just then to come back and still make the, the pivotal play of the game. It, that should have been the pivotal play of the game or could have been. Um, and then to come back and make yet another one later, I don't know. I think there's something a team can really feed off of that. So – We'll, we'll do it now because we're, we're talking about it. it. It is astounding to me, and this happens enough in football that I guess it happens. But Denzel Ward's the fastest guy in the field. He's on the edge of the line. The guy on the edge of the line for Penn State blocks down, lets him go, doesn't block him. And then Penn State has three protectors in front of the punter, and none of them block Denzel. He comes untouched. And I know that you make calls, and I know that guys have assignments. It just – Continue. It's like one of those things when you wind up with, well, you know, we had our tight end. We wound up blocking one-on-one with the best defensive end, and the defensive end got a strip sack to change the game. It's like, well, that's our blocking scheme told us to do that. It's like, what are you talking about? How does nobody block Denzel there? And obviously in, in review, it's a failure, but the, you let that failure happen in the moment. Penn State, unbelievable. It was just a fast guy with a straight path to the punter. It's one of those, some guys, sometimes guys block punts like with their fingertips. Denzel blocked that like with his whole body because he was there. It's like one of those, it's almost like, man, thank God he didn't run past the punter. He was so on top of him. Just an absolute failure by Penn State. And again, that is coming at, Ohio State is down 35-20 with 11.45 to play in the fourth quarter. He comes in unblocked. And Ohio State winds up with the ball at the 41-yard line, and they get a touchdown out of it. So I just – Stephen, right? That's the idea. I mean, a great play by Denzel and great execution. I think this is one of those where I think people were saying, oh, that was – that might have been Greg Schiano got credit for this. But there, I don't know what the scheme is. Hey, what's your scheme on the punt block? What we're going to do – let me tell you what you're going to do. We got this guy super fast. We're going to line him up right on the edge, and we're going to tell him run as fast as you can at the punter Try to put your body in front of the ball. See what happens. Great coaching. Steven, how can Penn State let that happen? Yeah, it, it, and then I'm like re-watching it right now. They didn't block either one of the edge guys. I don't know who number 16 is, but he's on par with, Den- with Denzel the entire time, and Denzel obviously just sold out, which was probably where the coach came in. One of you has to sell out on this, and Denzel's the guy who ends up doing it. But, look, if you're going to ha- have guys back there as a safety valve, have them actually be a safety valve for when a pu- for pump blockers and don't just have them back there trying to scheme up something. Yeah, it was just bad. It was just bad. But I mean, it's just, it's, it's as bad as Ohio state special teams were for much of the game that saved them. So my underappreciated guy was actually trace McSorley, who is the JT Barrett of Penn state football. And he was not spectacular from a statistical standpoint in this game, but he is a pain in your butt. 17 of 29 for 192 yards and two touchdowns, 13 carries for 49 yards. 
He's the kind of quarterback you want in a game like this. He was much more of a problem for Ohio State in his career than Shea Patterson at Michigan ever was. You know, he's not an NFL quarterback, but he's like a winner. He really is. I mean, the reason that I'm giving him the JT Barrett underappreciated award is because he's the closest thing to JT Barrett that I think I, that I have seen in 15 years, that he's like a winning quarterback who's not a great athlete. He's not a great thrower. He's a dual threat guy, but more than anything, he's tough. He's a leader. He's in, in the clutch. He comes through. And then he wound up, I think, having a terrible game, I think maybe his last game against Ohio State in his career. But in this game, like he wasn't, he wasn't spectacular, but he had like a, he had a big run on a QB draw for like 25 yards at one point when they kind of needed to get some momentum. What did you think of him, Nathan, just as like a guy who would, would you want Trace McSorley as your quarterback in a big game or, or were you not that impressed? Not overly impressed by this performance. I I know what you're saying as far as him potentially being a dual threat. And I know he had, he did have a couple good runs. There were just so many times this game where I see him running with the ball and I'm thinking like, that's, that's gotta be Barkley more. That's gotta be. And I know that he did carry the ball 21 times and didn't get a whole lot of it, but we'll come back to this later. Cause I have it written down later, but just the fact that Barkley had, you mentioned the four receptions and I think that number was too low. I would have rather seen McSorley used as a way to just get Barkley the ball in space more than the times that, that McSorley's keeping the ball off of action to, to Barkley in the backfield. What do you think the chances are that Ohio State runs a play where they snap at the Trey Sermon and Master Teague, and then they hand it off to Justin Fields? Yeah, that was a fun idea that didn't really do much. And I actually think if Barkley would have kept it, so they ran a trick play, Trace McSorley's lined up in the shotgun, they motioned Barkley back into the backfield, but when he motions into the backfield, he goes behind center. So Barkley's the quarterback. McSorley is lined up like the tailback. Now Barkley is making the read. And actually, I think if Barkley had kept it, I think he had a hole straight up the middle, but instead he gave it to McSorley and McSorley got like three yards. So I don't know. That's a bad read by the running back who, you know, is the running back and not the quarterback. So I I get they're trying to be fancy. I just thought, I don't know. There's a lot of quarterbacks. Let me tell you, the quarterbacks who play Ohio State and Turtle – and want to like call for their mommies happens all the time. Trace McSorley doesn't do that. JT Barrett never did that. Even when JT Barrett had bad games, he, he wanted to be out there. So I'm, I'm, I don't like the lack of respect for Trace McSorley here. I think it's misplaced. I think you guys are missing out on how un- this actually, it makes my point. He's underappreciated. I can run a list of fake good big 10 quarterbacks who, if you put in this game against that defensive line and everything else. Now he missed a couple throws, right? But man, he fought. He was there. Like he made plays. He he's he really is the JT Barrett of Penn State football. So I thought it was it's fun. He's a good guy for like he's a good kind of guy to play against because he's not Deshaun Watson. He's not going to kill you, but he's going to fight you. You know, it's like he's probably going to take you 15 rounds. He's going to get a couple shots in, but probably you'll end up getting the decision. But it's hard to knock that guy out. I see your skeptical look, Stephen. I see your skeptical look. Well, lack of appreciation. Lack of appreciation for both you guys. I hear what you're saying, but isn't there also an argument to be made that the Trace McSorley's of the world and, and maybe even the Sean Clifford's of the world are a reason why Penn State is hitting its head on a ceiling and don't isn't compare, breaking through to that Don't next compare level. Sean Clifford and Trace McSorley. If Sean Clifford's okay, Trace but, McSorley, Penn State will be in great shape. Okay. Trace McSorley beat Penn State and then lost by one both the other two years. So, like, I know what you're saying. Yes, it would be better for Penn State to have Justin Fields. 
if you're not going to have Justin Fields and nobody in the Big Ten does, nobody in the Big Ten does, ever. Nobody ever does. Well, they did. They did, actually, almost. But I know. We've co- but they didn't get him. They didn't keep right. him. That's what I'm saying. So, if, but if, so that's, again, that, I, that's, it's funny. I just, this is like kind of the argument I just had with, with uh, the Browns about, like, are we just going to compare Baker Mayfield to Patrick Mahomes all the time and be like, well, he's not Patrick Mahomes. It's like, okay, is that the only discussion? Because there's only one Patrick Mahomes. It's hard. It's hard to find a Justin Fields. It's hard to find a Deshaun Watson. Steven, go ahead. You're smirking. Smirk your way through. <laughs> Make an argument. No, I agree with the premise of because the, the category is literally called the JT Barrett Underappreciated Award, and he's their version of JT Barrett, where you can say all of those things you're saying about Tracy McSorley, McSorley about JT Barrett. If oh, your ceiling isn't as high, but you're going to win some games. But, you know, you're not ever going to compete for a national championship with this type of quarterback, which it's, this, this category is basically a backhanded comp- compliment, and he just fits it perfectly. It's, you're good, but we're not going to win a championship with you. I feel like over the you course of You guys are making me mad, for real. I'm not even joking. You're actually over the, me mad. Go ahead. Over the course of Buckeye Talk, I think I've been very complimentary to Penn State. But I think if, if, if right now, if – Justin Fields had not transferred to Ohio State, we'd be talking about how that the lack of a really dynamic quarterback was probably the difference between whether or not they're competing for a national championship and, and the fact that they're not. Penn State just – I think Penn State is so close to this level, but I think that's the breakthrough they need. But Ohio State, I think it makes more sense that Penn State is, is a tier behind Ohio State. It's not like Penn State has equal talent to Ohio State except at quarterback. They don't have as much talent across the board. It makes more sense that Penn State's quarterback is Trace McSorley than it makes sense that Ohio State's quarterback is JT Barrett, if you know what I mean, based on the overall level of talent in the program. When in this game, Ohio State on defense is lining up Nick Bosa, Sam Hubbard, Tyquan Lewis, Jalen Holmes, and their fifth defensive end is Chase Young, and then their quarterback is like a scrappy guy who kind of can't throw, it's sort of like, where's your quarterback, dude? Penn State's not that. So they're down a level, and Trace McSorley fits more of that. Yes, and when we had Bob Flounders on and we previewed Penn State in the summer, this is what gets them over the top, getting Justin Fields. But while they don't have Justin Fields, and they've never had one, so it's not like – I mean, Ohio State had versions of it. Braxton, right, Terrell Pryor, Troy – they had super talented guys, and JT Barrett wasn't quite as talented as them. Who's a talented Penn State quarterback? Penn State always has guys like this at quarterback. They will kill if Trace Jerry Collins. <laughs> that's a name. Wow, that's a name. Twenty-five years. Wow. <laughs> Twenty-five years. I, I agree with your premise. I do. It's just it, it, it made me more. This is a bad time for me to have video. I you were smirking about Trace McSorley the whole time, like that. Eh, Trace yeah. McSorley. Like <laughs> Trace McSorley, what he ever do? Win eleven games every year and lift Ohio, Penn State to new heights and save their program. By the way, I, I have a point at the end of this. We have to make a category at the end called Doug's Big Theory. This is a – I can't believe – this is a better game than I realized to do as we're talkable like this. I have a theory about this game and how it's a fork in the road. And maybe it's not – maybe it's obvious to everybody. I, this is an unbelievably huge game in the history of the modern Big Ten. Uh, all right, we got to move faster a little bit. Slob moment. Nathan, this is about a lineman slob moment of the game. I had a couple where I, I, it was hard for me to pick out just one guy. There were a couple plays I thought were just the whole offensive line really stood up. Um, this will come up later too. The, the, there's a J.K. Jobbins draw play late in the first quarter where the whole offensive line really kind of cleared him a path and the, the 
also the Ohio State defensive end just kind of stood there and watched it happen, really got frozen. Um, but then also on the, the, the Weber touchdown run, I think made it, it was either 28-10 or 28-17. I guess it was probably 28-17 at that point. Um, another one where the, the whole offensive line just cleared things out. I don't know that it, I thought it was a great game from this offensive line overall, and it was hard for me to pick out maybe individual moments during the cut-up. But I thought there were some plays where when, when they needed the whole line to step up and, and, and clear this path for just a few yards, they were getting it done when they had to. Steven? A lot of false start penalties, especially from that right side. Um, but the, the one that stands out to me, I think the first quarter, a little less than six minutes to play, Jamarco Jones and Michael Jordan take a guy from the 24-yard line to the 10-yard line on a J.K. Dobbins outside run. I think uh, Michael Jordan did the bulk of that at the end of it, but both of those guys being able to carry a defensive end that far and get a, a nice quality run for J.K. Dobbins. That, I think, is a good point. They, they had moments. They did have moments good and bad, I thought. They had a, I had a, there's a third and one QB draw when Ohio State's down 28-10 and Michael Jordan and Billy Price just buried guys. And uh, JT ran for 20-plus yards on a touchdown drive. Just like simple things like that. That's like, what if you get stopped on third and one there? And they just almost never got stopped on third and one when JT Barrett was the quarterback. And part of it was because they had offensive line guys who could really dig into the run game. And, um, but they did have issues. They did have that right side, as you said, Stephen. And we'll get into a little bit more of that later. Isaiah Prince at right tackle, Demetrius Knox at right guard. Was, they were not as consistent as maybe the guys on the left side of the line. The Malik Hooker, where did he come from award? Either a guy that makes a play out of nowhere or makes a difference in the game for a moment. It's more of a flash in the pan than the underappreciated player. Who's the Malik Hooker? Where did he come from award, Steven? Robert Landers only played 16 snaps in this game, but he had an impactful 16 snaps. He had two tackles for loss at key moments. One is on the drive where Penn State was – it's one of the better drives Penn State had – and then they end up getting stopped for a field goal. They should have been up 42 to 27, but they end up having to settle for 38. And then he had another one, I think, back in Penn, deep in Penn State territory. He gets through to Saquon Parkley, and he gets another tackle for loss. So for a guy in a year where nobody really played a lot of snaps on the defensive line, obviously because of those four defensive ends, and, and Jalen Holmes also moving on the inside, he made good use of his 16 snaps in that game. That was exactly mine. That guy, those two plays. Uh, and that was a time too. that was yours too. Yep. That was a time when like people thought Robert Landers was like a little bowling ball of leverage. Yeah. And people were thought, I remember people would be like, Oh, could that guy be an NFL player? Cause he just, he's so he's different shaped. He can penetrate. He gets low. Um, and he did, he made two plays that really mattered. And I think to point out that I think it was a second down that he blew up down in the red zone that then forced a third and long that they didn't get that led to the field goal. If they had managed to make it 42-27 there instead of 38-27, that's a big difference. That would have been a big difference for how this game would have unfolded. And Robert Landers, really, he's like the perfect guy. I didn't know that it was only 16 snaps. He's a perfect guy for that yeah. category. According to 11 Warriors, snap count. Thank you, 11 Warriors. He made the most of it. He made the most of it. Absolutely kind of game-changing plays. Quick break. We'll move a little faster. we got stuff to do. Coming up next, Jim Trestle punt or not to punt moment. There's actually a couple really good ones here. Questionable coaching, next man up, all of that and more. We're doing the Buckeye Retalkables, Ohio State, Penn State, 2017. Back right after this. Back on Buckeye Talk with the Jim Trestle to punt or not to punt moment of the game. Kind of a coaching decision you have to make. Nathan, what'd you have? So I, I guess this, I think this counts. It always fascinates me when a team comes out and kicks away to someone like a Saquon Barkley, and then they house it. And then the team, it's almost like they go, oh, man, that, that was Saquon Barkley. 
And then they start pooching it. The rest I can't, of the I, game. Ha- I have to, I have to do this. I'm sorry. It's just, we talk about them so much. Is it Saquon or Saquon? Say, I think it's Saquon. It's Saquon. I, I think yeah. it's Saquon. It's just, I just felt like you just said his name like five times in a row right there. Um, Incorrectly. That they, he scared him so bad on the opening kickoff because they kicked it right to him. And then they tried to not do that anymore. Well, but then, but it's not like he, it's not like that was the discovery of Saquon Barkley was that right. when he took that kickback, yeah. like people knew who Saquon Barkley was. <laughs> and if you think he's that dangerous that he could keep doing it, you sh- why, why wasn't that also your approach on the first kick of the game? Like, why, why are you kicking it deep there too? I guess I don't, I, I, that always just makes me chuckle when, when teams in kind of retrospect are like, Oh, that's right. They have the best player in the country on right. the other side of the field. We shouldn't kick him the ball. So that I, to me, it's just a questionable moment. Is if you're gonna if you if you think you have to kick it short the rest of the game, that's not well. Okay, yeah, the punter not right. We got, don't kick it to him to begin with. They like that's how they like to kick off. Then Urban liked to try to kick to a corner and make you feel it like around the three yard line. That they didn't want to kick it in the end zone. They thought that their kick coverage was an advantage. That was their strategy. And it's like okay, I get it. Most of the time, not against Barkley, and it killed him right off the bat. So, yes, I think that they could have immediately said, let's avoid him on these kickoffs. The counterargument is it was a great return by Barkley. The counterargument then to that counterargument is that's because it's Saquon Barkley. Like, he does that. So, I just think if, if you think it's too dangerous to kick to him the rest of the game, you shouldn't be kicking to him to start. So, you're, so this is the punt or not to some punt moment. It's a decision. The decision is to kick to him. Bad decision Correct. to ever mm-hmm. kick to him. Steven, what do you got? So I had two moments. I had one where OSU goes forward on fourth and eight from the Penn State 25-yard line. They complete the pass to K.J. Hill, but as we've already talked about with these receivers being able to get yards up to catch, he's just short of it. I like what they were doing there because they're already down 14-3, to three and Penn State has all the momentum because of the kick return and because of the, you know, the touchdown earlier in the game. They kind of need to get some momentum back, so they needed to keep that drive alive, and they, but they weren't able to because K.J. Hill can't get the yards up to the catch. Well, but J.T. also – I mean uh, – you and I are in sync on these. I also have that. Yeah. JT threw short of the marker. It's four to eight. Why are you throwing short of the marker? Yeah. Like, What's well, a combination of both? Yes. Uh, not the best decision, but also sometimes your wide receiver has to make you look good, and KJ Hill didn't do that. And then there was another one where they're closer to the 50, but they're still in Penn State territory in the third quarter, where I think in a different scenario where they hadn't had such a bad drive, they probably would have gone for it, but they already had a fumble. They already had a couple of penalties. So at that point, it's just you cut your losses and just put your defense back on the field. So that was it a bad decision? You liked the decision by Ohio State to go for it on the fourth? I like, I, I like both decisions. I like when they went, decided to go for it because of the reasons. And I also liked when they punted because okay. ugly drive, sometimes you just got to cut your losses. So I, I, I'm not sure what I thought they should have done on the first one, mm-hmm. but the, what they, the play they ended up doing was bad. That's not, if you're going to yeah. do it, let's not throw short of the sticks. What did you think of this? I thought this was a very difficult either or, but I would have liked to see Penn State go for it. 130 left in the second quarter, fourth and four from the 41. Penn State's ahead and Penn State punts. And I get it. They're ahead and they're not an underdog in this game. They're the number two team in the country. So they aren't exactly playing like roll the dice, you know, play crazy. But on third down, like I think it was like third and seven, they just kind of like ran Saquon Barkley up the middle and got like four yards. And I thought it felt like if that's your third down play, that means you're going to go for it on fourth down. But they just did like a weird random run up the middle and then they punted. And I thought it was not very aggressive. They wound up punting 
Then Ohio State, people were calling timeouts, but then I didn't really get to do anything. And everybody just, they wound up taking a knee to end the half. Yeah. But I thought, like, if you go for it there and don't get it, now you're giving Ohio State a little bit of a short field and it could backfire on you. And now Ohio State all, has all the momentum going into this, the second half. But also, it's like a kill shot a little bit, too, of like, listen, we're up two scores. We're going to go for it. We're going to push the envelope and we'll lean on our defense if we don't. Again, maybe if, maybe if Penn State wasn't undefeated in number two, maybe they would have gone for it. I thought it was a chance for James Franklin to be super aggressive, and he wasn't. So I'm not saying it was a mistake, but I, I, I'm not saying it would have been wrong if he would have gone for it. Do you guys remember that at all? Did that stand out at all, or was it normal to you to punt? I do, but them being on the road and already up, and it's late in the, se- in the first half, I think probably played a role in that. Had they been at home in front of their own fans, and this was, let's just say if this was a wide-out situation, then he probably would have gone for it because then, yeah, it's even more of a kill shot. But I think on the road in that scenario where you're already up and you think your defense can get a stop going in the halftime, I, I, I don't hate the decision, but I think it could have gone either way. I think it's one of those kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? Because if you are super aggressive there and something goes wrong, then people use that to criticize you. So I, I agree kind of with what Steven's saying, that considering the circumstances, I, I might lean towards the more conservative approach there. But then at the very least, if you thought you were going to punt, I would have run a better third down play yeah. to, to try to do something. Let's actually try to get the first down. So the Bill Davis-Tim Beck questionable coaching moment. So my thing here is kind of what Nathan was saying, just the special teams overall that the coverage unit, this is Urban's thing, and they talked about it. Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt talked about it constantly. Urban, you can tell, is going crazy on the sideline. We all know how involved Urban is in the special teams. Horrible, awful, embarrassing. Nobody stays in their lanes, and you look. We're looking at some of the numbers. I think I, I, Steve and I were talking before the podcast. There's number five out there leaving his lane and kick coverage. Hey, Baron Browning. There's number 20 out there. Hey, number 20, running around in the wrong lanes. Pete Warner. There's some of these young guys out there, Justin Hilliard. I see you out there, Justin Hilliard, not getting it done. Beyond the Barkley thing, they had a short kickoff then. Nathan, as you said, they try to stop kicking a Barkley. A linebacker fields it and runs it back 60 yards <laughs> because nobody has contain on the edge. It's a joke. And by the end, once Ohio State takes the lead in the last minute 40, they're so afraid of their kick coverage, they have to squib it. And Penn State mm-hmm. gets it at the 41-yard line. You're so afraid to kick it deep. You set up Penn State. A field goal for Penn State loses the game for Ohio State. And they give Penn State field position at the 41 because they squib it. And, like, the Penn State guy, like, blocks it like an infielder. That's how bad. If All they had to get was, like, 30 yards to set up a field goal. It's embarrassing for Urban for this team full of talented players, that is an embarrassing special teams performance. And those are five-star top 100 players you just named. We're going to throw Jeff Okuda in that as well, even though he was wearing number 29. And Urban Meyer, I mean, he was obsessed with special teams, so you know that was making his head spin. Stay in your lane. Nathan, what do you have for the bad coaching? So we hinted at this before. I, so when you have a player like Saquon Barkley and you've been, it's been so hey, effective, th- Saquon hey. Barkley, throughout his, hey, when you start pronouncing Illinois correctly, I'll start pronouncing Saquon Barkley. Hey, man, we, it's, it's fair. <laughs> when, when you have a player of that talent and a player who you've get, just giving him the ball in the backfield so often, 
turns into automatic yards. I can understand why it's difficult to get away from that approach. But because Ohio State clearly had him pinned in so effectively, I thought he needed more than four receptions in this game. I don't understand why they weren't finding a way to get him the ball in space a little bit more. And I'm not a huge fan of the horizontal passing game, but this is one game where I thought you would have probably taken your matchup on the corner sometimes, Saquon Barkley against really just about anybody. And that's saying something considering how good um, Ohio State's defensive backs have been uh, through the past – several years, but you're still going to take that time, that one-on-one matchup a lot of times if you can get him the ball in space. I just thought that there should have been more than four receptions for Saquon Barkley that would have then loosened things up and maybe allowed them to get some more conventional yards out of the backfield with him. And as you're saying, it's no surprise to Ohio State that Saquon Barkley is good. It's no surprise to Penn State that Ohio State's defensive line is good, right? That they could have been, it's like, well, what are we going to do to get Barkley free when Nick Bosa and Sam Hubbard and Tyquan Lewis are chasing him around? they should have been able to adjust to that pretty quickly. And I think you're right that they didn't. Steven, what was your bad coaching? I had one on offense and one on defense. The one on defense is simple. There were way too many times where Jordan Fuller or some other safety was matched up on, on a tight end. And Penn State abused it every time they saw it. I, I don't know who's – that, that's just not a good decision ever. Well, was, oh, but that tight end was Paul Bunyan. Well, the other thing is, but that defense, I mean, they don't – that's who safety – that's who tight ends get covered by. Yeah, it's either a linebacker or a tight end. It's because they and and just as a reminder for everybody, with all of our one safety versus two safety discussion, that's two two high safeties the whole game. You watch the way they cover the slot; they either hang an outside linebacker or safety who comes down over that slot guy. There is never a corner matched up in press coverage on a slot receiver in that game. They have two outside corners on the two outside receivers. There is often a third guy, whether it's a slot receiver or a tight end. But there's not – they don't have a third corner in yeah. the game ever. So their option is a safety or a linebacker. And, frankly, I think Jordan Fuller is – I know they had, the, they had the pass down the sideline on, a, I think, a critical third down to Mike Gusecki mm-hmm. where he did like a jump ball, kind of a back shoulder throw one-on-one against Jordan Fuller. And the coverage was actually kind of okay, and there was nothing Jordan Fuller could do. Mike Gusecki is like a second-round pick. Yeah, that's just a scheme thing, and I just want to go out. But also, but 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 what would you have done? What's the scheme they would have gone to? And that's the no, uh, yeah, and, and you're right to that point because that's what they were schemed up to do. And I just have the knowledge now of knowing who would actually be covering the tight end in the scheme today. But it, that's knowledge you don't have in 2017 when this game is being played. The more important one though is stop throwing running back swing plays. Stop stop, stop throwing that pass because it never worked. Every single time you ran it, you lost a bunch of yards. They threw, one, they threw some to J.K. Dobbins. They threw him to Mike Weber. And I just got to the point where it's like, please stop throwing this pass. It is setting your offense back. So that's just a run play in that offense. You know, it's just like a wide – instead of a toss, it's like a swing pass. But it, you rely on the receiver. The outside receiver doesn't make his block. It's for no yards or minus yards. And there are too many times where they weren't making their block. So I know what you're saying. It feels like a wasted play. Yeah. Why are we going this far sideways? Um but part of it, I think, is, is like if you don't believe in your offensive line at the point of attack to make a block, it's like, well, let's make, let's make the guy in charge of making the block to spring the running back. We're going to make that guy Ben Victor instead of Isaiah Prince on this play because maybe we trust Ben Victor to make that block on a corner than more than we trust Isaiah Prince to make it on a defensive end. But neither of them particularly worked. Next man up. Who had a next man up? I will say my next man up. It's the Kenny Guyton next man up award. They talked about it. Brandon Bowen, the right guard had broken his leg two games earlier. Demetrius Knox is in here as the starter now, does not play well. Couple flinches, couple, couple bad penalties. He plays better eventually in his career. 
but here he has to be the next man up and he's not really ready for it yet. And it's a reminder of like, you know, we got to see Brandon Bowen then come back and win his starting job back. He really played well to win this starting guard job in 2017. It was really unfortunate for him to have that season ending broken leg. And it took him a long time to come back from that. Nathan, you wrote about that. And then he comes back and wins the tackle job last year, but they missed him. I think they missed him in this game. So you got to put somebody in, but I thought they noticed that Brandon Bowen wasn't there. Who's your next man up, Nathan? That was the one that I had to just my limited knowledge of this and watching the cutups. That was the one that, that jumped out at me. And again, like you said, he didn't play that well, but um, you, you don't necessarily assume that they had someone else who was even better prepared. So uh, somebody had to kind of fill that spot and, and do his best that game. And that was him that, for that, for that night. Steven. Yeah. Knox too. Not, not a quality performance. He had the holding penalty penalty at one point. Yeah. John Cooper. If he'll bite, he'll bite as a pup category. It's talking about like a young guy who's flashing, who's going to go on and be better later in his career. Nathan, who's your pup? Well, it was fun to kind of get these brief glimpses of, of guys, um, even guys who are going to be in this team. Right? I think I saw Tough Borland running around there at some point. So it is funny to get like this, those little flashes of some of those, Darian, like you were mentioning Werner. And, um, um, but I, I put down uh, Drew Chrisman. Oh, nice. Just, you know, again, another guy who's, who's actually in there as a freshman, kind of getting his feet wet. Um, and then uh, bef- before the bottle flipping, before um, all the things that have come since then for Drew Chrisman, um, he's in there b- making punts in a, a big game. Back when he was just a punter, just a simple punter, because before he was a multimedia star. Steven, who's your pup? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously J.K. Dobbins as a true freshman who was the better running back in this game, believe I mean – who would have thought that coming into the – he was better than the number two pick in the NFL draft. But it's just interesting. So much talent in that 2017 class. Chase Young did not play a single snap, and Jeff Okuda did not play a single defensive snap. He was on special teams. But the – Joe, and they even showed Joe Burrow on the sidelines a little bit. The number one, the number two, and the number three picks in the NFL – in the 2020 NFL draft did not take a single snap in this game three years ago, which is that just is crazy. Interesting. That is crazy. All on the sideline, and none of them did anything. And then Dwayne Haskins, they showed him, you know, peeping his head into some huddles on timeouts. It's just interesting. There's so much, it just shows you how much talent is at Ohio State to where guys who are top five picks and first-round picks just don't play. God, this game Literally had – three years ago. On this – in this stadium were a number one pick, three number two picks, and a number three pick. Because beyond the guys you mentioned, obviously Nick Bosa and Saquon Barkley, both number two picks, mm-hmm. remarkable to think about. I had, I saw, I caught a glimpse of Chase on the sideline. Yeah, but I had not thought of it quite in those terms of of actually how many dudes were there. I did have J.K. I thought this was fun to watch, young and free J.K. This is why I love J.K. I had arguments with people at times that always dumbfounded me when people thought Mike Weber was better than J.K. Dobbins and the proof was finally in the end. J.K. Dobbins is an NFL player. Mike Weber is not. If you ever thought Mike Weber was better at J.K. Dobbins at Ohio State, I don't know what you were watching. J.K., in this game, you can see it. This is classic young J.K. He barely needs a hole. He slides through like sideways, and then he pops and he's gone. Now he's not running through the secondary, but he is really productive. 13 carries for 88 yards. And this was like the heyday of JK. Now coming the next season is a whole mucked up year. And then you get him back. But he's just, he doesn't, he like doesn't even think about it. He just gets the ball and looks for a sliver and goes. 
And I thought he was really important in this game. And he just, he almost like he runs young, right? He's not, he's not quite as, I don't think he's quite as thick as he is by his junior year, but he's just, he has such a, like a rotation per minute with his feet. He looks like Wiley Coyote a little bit that he's just like, and, and I just, I really liked watching him play. And as you said, he certainly, you know, Saquon Barkley is Saquon Barkley, but he's more productive. He has a better yards per carry in this game. Saquon Barkley, Again, 21 for 44. J.K. Dobbins, 13 for 88. Shows a lot of the qualities that he was also shows a junior. Nathan, you mentioned it earlier, the play where he froze up to the, the defensive end who was in contain at that time. He showed off his vision, which is, I think, his best quality, and he had some moments in this game where he showed that off. Fun to watch. Tedkin Jr. speed moment of the game. Nathan, who you got? The, the Saquon kick return. Unbelievable. Shot out of a cannon. Yeah. Unbelievable. Now he, had, he had a jetpack on. And then, the, and then the touchdown run, too. It's like yeah. he, they bring him wide left, and then by the time he gets to the corner, it's over. Mm-hmm. Is that what you had, Steven? Yeah, and on, that, and on the touchdown run, he was running so fast that he almost you know, lost his balance and ran out of bounds before he got to the end zone. So, yeah, I mean, those are the obvious ones. It's odd. And, again, you don't see it as much, and whenever we do see it, we talk about it. He's the most talented football player on the field. Now, they did a great job containing him, which is all the more credit to Ohio State, but he's the most dangerous guy. It's not close, which is, which is just most of the time the most dangerous guy in the field is wearing an Ohio State uniform. A lot of respect for that dude. Let's do another quick one here before we take a break. Style check. So this is not that long ago. So style check, it can be about like sometimes it's what you see on people in the stands or it can be other kind of stuff. Steven, what was the style check here? I love these jerseys, especially as it started to get dark outside. I, I like these better than the all blacks, honestly. I, I don't really like the all blacks. They're just kind of plain. They're just black. Especially, you have to look closer in order to see it, but the design on the helmet, especially since at the point it is in the season, guys, helmets aren't filled up with stars yet, so you can really see the design on it. I know a lot now, wait, of Wait, 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 wait. They're not stars. They're Buckeye leaves on the helmet. Sorry. Buckeye leaves on the helmet. But the point is, I like the, I like the design that's on the helmet. I, a lot of the recruits, when they come in for their official visits and they take pictures, a lot of them take it in this exact jersey, and I see why. 100% agree. That's exactly my thing, too. Gray looks like, awesome. We're here better, <laughs> better than black. They're not scarlet and black. They're scarlet and gray. So yeah. a gray jersey and gray pants is in their color scheme, and with the black helmet, with the red Buckeye leaves, it looks awesome. Every time I complain about special jerseys or alternate jerseys, they always say, when you look back in, you know, years from now and you look back at this game, you're not going to know what the team actually looked like that season. The biggest games of the year, I like you to look like what you look like. So this is not what they look like every week. But I thought they looked sharp, man. Like, I think this could be there. You know, I, I just thought it looked awesome across the board and again it's like the direct comparison is to the black uniforms that the guys seem to like so much i definitely prefer these nathan counterpoint why does every team have to do these gray uniforms i I feel like if you're just flipping through and you don't see the names at the bottom of the thing this could have been illinois which has these almost exactly identical gray uniforms this could have been purdue which has almost these exactly identical gray uniforms there's other teams in the big 10 and uh, throughout college football wear these gray uniforms i think they're drab I don't get it. I'm with Doug. I want, I want what Ohio State was wearing last week in the retalkables we did. The classic red top, the jersey. I, I, that's what I think of. For these games, I think that's what you put on the field. I think you put – really for all games. I, just, I don't get the, the gimmicky uniforms as much, especially if they're just 
these are very dull to me. Scarlet tops. Scarlet tops. Scarlet, whatever. Yeah. I, 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 listen, I'm just telling you guys, I'm fine. You guys call stuff. Call them. Oh, stars. they'll kill us. Call them yeah. red. I don't care. Answer to Scarlet is a shade of red. I'm not. Don't tell it to me. I'm just telling you. Ohio State's color is not red. It's scarlet. I'm just, I'm just telling you. Yeah, you're right. This, we're talking about a fan base who also puts the emphasis on the V like no other school in the country. So, yeah. Scarlet can, greater than okay. gray. Can we just do this real quick? Zero shade toward Ohio State traditions and the fan base from Doug in this podcast. <laughs> Send all complaints <laughs> to Stephen and Nathan. Here's the thing about the gray. So, Illinois wears that gray because, like, it's the galloping ghost kind of stuff, right? Isn't it for a Red Grange gray? I don't know why Purdue wears gray. At least Ohio State has ownership of gray. At least it's one of their two colors. So I know what you're saying, Nathan. And, and it's very easy to be an old guy and complain about alternate jerseys. And I am that old guy. And I do complain about alternate jerseys. On the list of alternate jerseys, this is the best one. And I think we are sort of like past the point of like, what are all these? Why do they wear alternate jerseys? I mean, we're not – the horse is out of the yeah. barn. So, yeah. they, I mean, they have a game. They have a Michigan game the one year where they're wearing like white that's practically like cream that is like a huge game look with an all white helmet and a scarlet stripe down the middle. And like, I hated those. This at least, I know what you're saying, Nathan, but I would blame those other teams. If you looked at this, this still, if you said, who is this? It, you might guess Ohio state. Cause you're just like, well, Ohio state wears gray. At least is it Ohio state. I don't know that you would guess gray for Purdue, which, but if Ohio state's wearing black and you said, who is that? It's like, I would never guess Ohio State because Ohio State doesn't wear black. Why would they be wearing black? So I know what you're saying, and I'm sure there, there is some divisiveness on alternate uniforms, and, uh, and there just frankly always will be. I don't agree with that. I think in regular season games, big games, you should wear your alternates. It, now, in a playoff game or a bowl game, yes, go traditional. I, they, I mean, they were doing their alternates for a while, like only in the Michigan game, and it was like yeah. – so, so in the Michigan game, we never just get to see Ohio State. I mean, they have two great classic jerseys. We never get to see Ohio State wear their normal jersey against their, their rival. That's just where we are now. But that's yeah, where they like were that. because that's what Nike was saying. Meme it. What's the weird thing that would have become a meme from this game? I have a couple. Nathan, what do you have for your memes? So uh, there was a point in this game. I don't, again, the cut-ups aren't always the, the greatest things for this. But there was a point where Mike Weber almost did a, a B. John Robinson. He got, Ugh. Yeah. He got completely flipped up in midair and almost landed directly on top of his head. And fortunately, as we said earlier this week on the pod, B. John Robinson was able to walk away from that with his spine intact. And hopefully Mike Weber would have as well. But I thought that was definitely a, something that could have easily turned into a little uh, a quick social media clip and, and uh, with who knows what attached to it. Really bad, man. These guys think they can hurt. I mean, they're, they're, they almost get over the guy, but it's like the worst situation is when you almost get over him and then not quite. And then you get flipped weird. It's like, what are you doing? What do you, you think you're going to jump? You're going to, you're going to get your crotch over a six foot tall guy's head. What do you think you're doing? It's not going to work. It didn't work. And that was um, a bad was, takeoff too. Like I, I you knew it was going to end badly the moment he took off. Bad decision. A lot of these guys ran track too. Didn't they ever watch people run the hurdles? Like every once in a while, when you don't clear that hurdle, you don't just like land softly and keep running. Like you usually oh, yeah. face plant and like walk off to the side to, to wipe the cenders out of that are stuck to your knee uh, while the rest of the race finishes without you. If and if you're, you're lucky. And if you're Barkley, fine. Barkley can do whatever he wants. He's like the best athlete in college football in the last 15 years. If you're not Saquon Barkley, stay on the ground. Steven. <laughs> So uh, it goes back to that, that kick return. Um, one, I don't know who got the glare from Urban Meyer, but it was the glare of death. 
and he's just he's trying to go around somebody to make sure that the person who's supposed to be getting the glare is getting the glare. I don't know if it's a coach or a player, but I would not like to be that person in an instant. And then it's also how I found out Jeffrey Okuda was wearing number 29. The face he has where he's just like, man, that guy's fast. <laughs> we did not know what we were doing on that play. So it's just the react. whenever big plays like that happen, it's always interesting to see who the camera catches and the reaction to the victim of the, of the big play, basically. So I had two. One I thought was the Denzel Ward pick in the end zone that they then overruled to the Penn State touchdown because it was like simultaneous possession with Denzel and the receiver. And I thought that could be like one of those things of like where you and your brother are fighting over the last piece of cake and like you think you have it and then your mom says, no, give it to your brother, whatever. They're like, honestly, that Denzel Ward, they ruled it a pick. Yeah. And then they overturn it on review to the surprise of the announcers that they overturn it. And it goes from an interception in the end zone to a touchdown. That is like the, that's the most important review. And then Ohio state still wins. That's the thing. It's like, that feels like a, on the list of like game changing moments. It's like, Oh, Denzel Ward's pick in the end zone was huge. It was like, Oh no, wait, it was overruled and turned into a Penn state touchdown. But very rarely do you see such simultaneous possession in the end zone between offense and defense Nathan what do you got what do you well I just the the way that the announcers reacted to that play I thought was a little strange because I I again it's on the cut up so I didn't hear the full explanation but it sounds like Joel Klatt is saying like oh look they both went up and then the receiver caught it and then after they landed Denzel Washington tore it away what an amazing and then it cuts out like he's starting to say like what an amazing play by Denzel Ward I'm like no that's just a touchdown like the guy caught it and came down in the end zone and then you took it away from that doesn't that's not a thing that's a touchdown. That's not a great defensive play. It, it also in the moment to me did not feel so unbelievable that they overturned it, yeah. right? That it just felt like, well, it, right. If the offensive player has possession on his own for even a second in the end zone, then it's a touchdown and then the play immediately ends. So yeah. I thought, I thought it kind of made more sense. The other one was they were showing Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt together in the booth <laughs> and Gus Johnson is wearing a stocking cap and a parka <laughs> And Joel Klatt is wearing a purple shirt, a plaid tie, and a blue blazer. (laughs) And it's like, is one of them in Antarctica? And one of them is in Florida? Why do they not? Are they actually next to each other? Do they just have that much? Is there one of them is cold-blooded and one of them is warm-blooded? I have never seen such mismatched attire from an announcing crew, crew that Joel Klatt is like ready to go to his fraternity formal and and gus johnson is ready to go sledding it was such an odd look but it's that's every time once it gets to this point in the season because i remember um this year penn state game when they're both walking around on the field before the game and gus johnson once again all bundled up baby while you know joe clatt's dq so it's just interesting yeah (laughs) two people same weather just two, how two different people react to the exact same degree. I mean, but to be, be – go ahead. Nathan. I say, is he being GQ or is he being the football guy? Because he's a, the, a football guy too at heart. Yeah. And, like, we talked about this last week, I think, that there's always, like, somebody who's down there wearing less clothes than they're supposed to in the, in the freezing cold just because it, they're a football guy. Well, usually that football guy is like a 350-pound offensive line assistant yeah. wearing shorts. Not right. His, right. His right, but it's thighs, same mentality applies. His thighs are bulging through the shorts in 18-degree weather. Um, same mentality applies. That's why Lou Holtz was down there on the sideline with his, you know, his spine hanging on by a thread or whatever um, because he's a football guy, and you, 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 you shrug off the, the potential of 
death or hypothermia or whatever because um, you're a football guy. I just want to say that I sat next to Joel Klatt for an eight-hour mock committee. We've heard. And in that moment, I will tell you that Joel is a football guy, but that's not the only reason that he is dressed like that. Joel Klatt cares about looking good. And Didn't I you have dinner him. with him too? I had dinner with him too. So, yeah. and, and I've only ever seen Joel Klatt look good. So I am pushing back slightly on the comparison of 350-pound tight shorts offensive line assistant guy in the 18-degree weather and Joel Klatt bringing it in the plaid tie in the press box. Uh, game-saving moment, and then we'll get another quick break and get to our final wrap-up of whether this was, looks like a championship team. So let me write down what I, I wrote a paragraph on my game-saving moment because it happened and I have a terrible memory and I paused it and I wrote this down. Damon Webb is playing deep safety and he's helping out on Damon Arnett and on a lob pass in the end zone. It's on third and eight with nine 34 left. Steven is vigorously shaking his head. Penn State State is up 21 to 10. This is this two safety Ohio state. Look, Damon Webb roams the end zone and comes across and makes a leaping interception in the end zone to stop a Penn State scoring drive, to get a critical turnover, to stop the momentum, and change the game. What an unbelievable play by Damon Webb. That changed the game. And then I unpaused it, and it was like, oh, wait, Damon Arnett had pass interference. It wiped out the interception and Penn State scored and went up 28-10. So it was like, and there's like, oh, so then it's over. It's like, nope, wasn't over. Ohio State still won. There are so many things. They had two, inter- Ohio State had two interceptions in the end zone, wiped out in this game, and they still won. But also, that reminded me, Hansy Damon Arnett. Oh, my God. This is why I thought the Raiders shouldn't take him in the first round. I will never, I mean, and that's like two years, you know, Damon Arnett plays two more full years of college football after this. That's Damon Arnett to me. I can't get past that. It's probably unfair by me. That's how I'll always think of him. He was not it in this game. He was not it at all in this game. And that was a perfect example of it. It was maybe a a little bit of an iffy call on the pass interference, but my God, can you get your hands off a guy? Do you have to have your hands all over every receiver every time the ball's in the air? So, and I have a litany of like other things that I thought were a game changing moment that weren't. And then it all leads up to the one that actually was, which is the Denzel Ward punt block that we already talked about. Nathan, did you have different game changing moments you wanted to talk about? I mean, the Denzel Ward punt block is obviously the, the obvious answer. The, the, a slightly more cynical answer, though, was um, a play preceding that where um, Ben Victor fumbles a ball away and a defensive holding penalty mm-hmm. negated it. And Ohio State got to keep possession. You wonder yep. if Penn State gets to take possession over right there at that juncture of the field, which I think would have been um, plus territory for them. I mean, how does that change the complexion of that game at that point? And then also late in the game, um, you kind of already referenced it, but there was back-to-back plays by Sam Hubbard and B.B. Landers to finish off a, a Penn State possession. Just two big defensive plays that I thought were at a, at a juncture where, where things were still going back and forth to some extent. Those were, were big plays to set up how State, how State finished that game off. Steven, game-changing Maurice Claret play. Yeah, pump blocks, the game-changing play. Um, I, I just want to go back to those two, that, that Damon Webb, Damon Arnett thing really quickly. He also gave up the – he had the touchdown pass, pass called on him. It was just so many moments where Damon Arnett where I'm like, man, 
That guy's going to be a first-round draft pick in two years. I don't know. I just don't get it. But also, with Damian Webb, that's exactly what Ohio State needs from Josh Proctor or Marcus Hooker, whichever one ends up winning that job. That's exactly what they need from them, to make those types of plays on the ball where you're coming from the whole other side of the field and you get an interception in a game, college football playoff this year, where you know, you're playing Clemson or Alabama and you're going to need a mo- – you might need a moment like that from Josh Proctor. That's the exact – that's all I thought about was that's exactly what they need from their safety this year, not necessarily what Jordan Fuller was last year. But, yeah, uh, the pump blocks, the game's changing moment. But that's a questionable pass interference call. And I think they ended up calling it on Damon Webb. If, at least No, that, it was wrong, though. Saying. It was wrong. Okay, cool. It was clearly on our net. Yeah. Um, Proctor has one of those. I think it might have been like in garbage time against Rutgers, but Proctor has a pick like a a middle of the field to the sideline help pick in his career. But the other thing there is they're in two safeties there. So you're splitting the field. You're not Mm -hmm. in charge of going sideline to sideline by yourself. And I think on that look, the one safety gets pulled the other way. And then McSorley comes back this way and thinks he has one-on-one. And because you have two deep safeties, you can help more there. That's one of the things you give up with a single high safety look, mm-hmm. right? That you have more guys locked in one-on-one. Maybe you have other guys helping. But it's, it just it makes the single deep safety have further to go because you're not splitting the field in half. But that was a great play by Damon Webb, and then it turned out it didn't matter. Um, the one thing I want to mention, there was some of the other things that we talked about earlier with Jordan Fuller. One of the things that they did really well during the course of this game is they were run blitzing. And it wasn't just the defensive line, but Fuller had one on my list of big plays. Fuller did have a stop on Barkley on a run blitz. I think Kendall Sheffield had a tackle on a run blitz. Yeah. I think Denzel Ward had a tackle. They knew that, that Penn State, to your point, Nathan, they weren't really threatening them by throwing little screens or little you know, passes back against where the blitz coming from. They were just running into it. So there were, there were defensive backs for Ohio State who were getting in the backfield and wrapping Saquon Barkley up and making a difference. It wasn't just the defensive line, but it was a really good plan by Ohio State to really focus on taking this guy away. And they just had a multiple moments that were really key in the course of the game where they did that. All right, we got to get on our horse and get out of here because we have uh, some more stuff to do. We've got, does this look like a championship Ohio State team? The enjoyment meter for Buckeye fans and the enjoyment meter for regular college football fans. We'll finish up Buckeye Retalkables 2017 Ohio State Penn State right after this. Back on Buckeye Talk, I have my big theory that I need to get to at the end here. Nathan, does this look like an Ohio State championship team? It looks like the beginnings of one. It looks like there's talent here that could be, and and some of this is is also compromised by what we know about some players who weren't even playing in this game. You know, Chase Young, um, Jeff Okuda being more like sideline guys. We know what they eventually grew into. But you could even see, I thought, at times that there there were were kernels of, of what this team could grow into in the next couple of years. But as far as for 2017, that was not a championship team. Steven, what do you think? No, it wasn't a championship team, especially at this point. I mean, there's high level NFL quarterbacks in the playoff every, at this point, every single season. So no, the, 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 the offense still had some ways to go. I know JT Barrett was pretty solid in this game, but this was the peak version of it. This is, was not what he was the entire se- season. The defensive line was championship level, but the receivers weren't, top-notch receivers. Uh, J.K. Dobbins is only a true freshman in this season. And it, no, this is just – there's, there's too many moving parts to this that could have been a demise and ends up being their demise. This is not a championship team. We thought they were getting in the playoff. They were fifth. Alabama got in as a non-champ. Alabama gets in. They don't win the SEC. Alabama gets in. They don't even make the SEC championship game. Mm-hmm. 
Ohio State with two losses is number five. And then Alabama as the four seed wins the national championship. And sitting in that room on the day of the announcement, I thought Ohio State was getting it. So as like, no, they were right there because two things happened. They, had, they played two games this season against Big Ten teams where they were the lower ranked team. Because they, in this game, they beat, they beat Penn State. Then in the Big Ten championship game, they play Wisconsin. Wisconsin is undefeated number three in the country going into that game. And Ohio State beats them. So that's how close this Ohio State team is to maybe making a playoff run. We can see now that it's transitional. And I would say, like Damon Arnett and some of this defensive backfield stuff, not it. Receivers, not it. Parts of the offensive line, not it. Not good enough. Not good enough. But a lot of it is pretty good. The defensive line is awesome. And you could see one of the other things I wanted to mention, the last series when Penn State's trying to come back and they're smothering them, Rushman. They have Hubbard, Lewis, Holmes, and Bosa on the field together. And we also have to acknowledge, I don't think we found a way to talk about it, the Sam Hubbard. That was also one of my memes, actually. They call Gus Johnson called him Nick Bosa. Well, Sam Hubbard tackles two guys at the same time. Yeah. Super famous play. Tackles Trace McSorley and Saquon Barkley simultaneously. There were moments, Sam Hubbard, I did get confused, too. There were moments I thought Sam Hubbard was Nick Bosa. Sam Hubbard was awesome in this game. I think Sam Hubbard might have been the best defensive on the player on the field for Ohio State in a game where Nick Bosa played and where Jerome Baker played and Tyquan Lewis played and Denzel Ward played. I thought Sam Hubbard played unbelievable. So that defensive line is there. This is like JT at his best, but this was a big step up from 2016 and the Tim Beck, Ed Warner offense. There was enough of the beginning. There was enough Ryan Day in this offense that they got there more in 18 with Haskins, more in 19 with Fields. But this was the first step. It was so much better than 16 that it made you say, huh, I wonder if this might be it. Like, this might be it. Now, in, in hindsight, you realize it's still a work in progress. But I don't know. It's like I would have – I agree they're probably not a championship team. I really thought they were going to get in the playoff with two losses. So I'm on the edge. I'm not saying you guys are wrong. But if they're not a championship team – they are really close to getting a chance to prove it or not. And I don't think they would have gotten blown out because Clemson's the one seed. So if they got in, they would have played Clemson again. They would have given Clemson a better game than they did in 16 when they lost 31 nothing. I think that's fair to say. Because Deshaun's Watson's gone, right? And there's just a couple other yeah. things here. Kelly Bryant's the quarterback this year. This is the Clemson team that's number one seed, loses in the playoff. This is in between Deshaun Watson and Trevor Lawrence. This is kind of like a half-down Clemson year. I wonder if Ohio State could have given them a game in a semifinal. So, and they almost got a chance. Enjoyment meter for a college football fan. Steven, regular college football fan watching this game, what is it? I had 990 because, I mean, it had everything you wanted. It just wasn't for a trophy. You know, come back, two top 10 teams uh, – yeah, three thirty start. You know, I mean, JT Barrett's playing at the level he's playing with. There's some questionable calls by referees. You know, there's some moment, some game change, a, a punt block. You had the you know the interception turned into a touchdown. Everything you wanted, it just wasn't for a trophy. So, it, for, so for an average fan, it can't be in a thousand. Nathan, rating for the average fan. Yeah, I saved nine ninety and above for like a real, like a true upset, like somebody really comes out of nowhere and and spoils something for somebody. But this, as far as just like two great teams going head to head, I put nine eighty three. And like Steven's saying, like there's just so many plays in this game. They're like argumentative calls. Like you could be 
with other neutral fans just watching this game in a bar or, or whatever and um, just have a lot of fun yelling at each other saying how you saw the play or you could definitely if, if it's Ohio State and Penn State fans you could have had some real great jabber back and forth in a game like this but even just for casual fans I said 983 just a, just um, a satisfying ending a team getting down by a bunch and having to come all the way back at the end um, there's probably enough people out there who don't like Ohio State that they wish it maybe had gone the other way so that might have been pushed it closer to like 990 if Penn State had found a way to to pull a road upset but I, this is also an era where people don't like Penn State very much so um, maybe not. So Ohio State is trailing 14 nothing in this game then 21-3 then 28-10 then 35-20 then when Penn State kicks a field goal with uh, 542 to play Penn State goes up 38-27. I wonder if anybody turned this off because there were a couple times where it felt like this maybe was almost over. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say 975 because I think it was a great finish, but you weren't exactly sure that that's what it was headed toward because it did. It was hard to tell who's the better team, what's going on. It wound up being super entertaining, but I don't know if there's anybody who wants Penn State kicked that field goal. It's like, okay, is Ohio State going to score twice in the final five and a half minutes? Like, oh, well, Penn State won. I'll go mow my lawn. And then like, what? So um, really good, really good competitive game and just filled with stars. As we mentioned, I mean, just, un- I mean, even a lot of them didn't play, but like Saquon Barkley versus Nick Bosa, like awesome. Dent- I, I, by the way, I said they had a, a one pick, three, two picks and a three pick. And I forgot to say they had a fourth pick because Denzel Ward's the fourth pick and he's super important here. So this game has six guys picked in the top four. Five of them are, Penn- are Ohio State guys. Unbelievable. So I'll say 975. Buckeye enjoyment meter. Buckeye enjoyment meter. Because they're not turning it off, Nathan. I'm going to say like a 926. Because you're not happy happy that you get down early. But you are. You did just beat the number two team in the country, and you kept your playoff hopes alive. If if you find a way – if you lose that game, then um, by conventional wisdom at that point, you're you're certainly done. So um, you saw the best that you'd ever saw to JT Barrett. You saw your defense go out and wrap up the best player in the country, um, a, a, a dynamic offensive player like Barkley. I just, I, I think at the end of the day, as much as there's a lot to be concerned about when you find a way to win, I think there's still a lot of enjoyment there. Steven. 985, because yes, you had to come back, have a comeback victory in order to do it, but you had to have a comeback victory to win in Ohio stadium. And it's going into the nighttime. I mean, yeah, it, everything you wanted and Ohio state won the game. Even if you were a little nervous going into halftime about things, you still got everything you wanted as an average college football fan, but also your favorite team won and beat the arguably the second best team in your conference to do it. So uh, we have Ohio state player interviews coming up in nine minutes. And I am now going to deliver my theory. Nathan, if you have to leave to go do those interviews while my theory is still going, go ahead and I'll wrap up without you. I'm going to give this a 995 just because it's not for a national championship. This to me is the most important game in the big 10 in the regular season. And I don't know how long, but it's the most important game for Ohio state since beating Alabama in the 2014 national championship game. And here's why going into this game, Ohio state has a loss. Penn state's undefeated. Penn state is higher ranked in the polls. Penn state beat Ohio state the year before, you know, the last time Ohio state lost to a big 10 team in consecutive years which is what would have happened here if they hadn't rallied 2003, 2004 against Wisconsin. When a team beats you once and it doesn't happen all that much in the big 10 to Ohio state, 
everything happens every now and then, right? You can blow it off. If a team beats you two years in a row, something might be starting to happen there. And I would argue, now, the part of the problem here is that both these teams in this game lose the next week. Ohio State goes to Iowa, gets blown off the field. In part because JT Barrett suddenly thinks, I'm rip it, JT Barrett, and he rips it right into Josh Jackson's chest three times, and he's an Iowa cornerback. Penn State goes out after losing this game, loses to Michigan State the next week. Penn State goes on and beats Washington in the Fiesta Bowl. So Penn State's undefeated. They lose these two. They don't lose again the rest of the year. Both teams exhausted. Both teams pushed to the brink. They lose the next week. If Penn State loses, if Penn State wins this game, I think it's almost more important for Penn State than Ohio State, but it's a direct correlation. I think it might change the balance of power in the Big Ten. We talk about now that Ohio State is far and above. If Penn State wins this game, they are a team that has beaten Ohio State two straight years. They are now still undefeated, and Ohio State has two losses. I think if Penn State wins this game, they don't lose to Michigan State the next week. I think Penn State goes to the playoff if they win this game. And now you have 2016 where Ohio State got in the playoff instead of Penn State, but Penn State won the Big Ten. Now you have Penn State winning the Big Ten again and making the playoff, and now you're recruiting to that. Now you are changing who you are as a program. Listen, Penn State in this game, they had the previous win, they have the best player, and if they also win again, that changes everything. I think it's a fork in the road moment in, Ohio, in recent Big Ten history. Does Justin Fields wind up at Penn State if Penn State wins this game? Because when he commits to Penn State, He's committing to a program that now is arguably the best team in the Big Ten. Why would you say that? Because we proved it on the field. How did you prove it on the field? We beat them back-to-back years, and then we went to the playoff. What if Penn State with Saquon Barkley plays Clemson in the playoff and beats Kelly Bryant Clemson? Can I interject something before I, before I leave for my interviews? Yeah. I, just, I, 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 don't think, I don't think it would affect the Fields thing because Fields, one of the reasons he didn't end up at Penn State was because Joe Moorhead left, and I think Joe Moorhead leaves just as quickly, if not faster, if – Penn State has the kind of season you're talking mm-hmm. about. But the, but the rest of what you're saying it, it is very valid. Just as far as the field's point, I think that should probably be pointed out. Or Julian Fleming. I'm off. Julian Fleming is probably a better, yeah. But plenty of other examples of like, are there recruit? This lifts Penn State a level. I'm not sure it knocks Ohio State down a level, but I think it lifts Penn State up to Ohio State's level. How would it not? You've beaten them two years in a row. You've now gone to the playoff for the first time, Penn State. I'm not, but also now, I'm not so sure this doesn't open the door on Dwayne Haskins earlier because we th- people thought Dwayne Haskins should have taken over for JT Barrett after the Oklahoma game. The problem with this is that Ohio State goes out and loses to Iowa the next week, and you forget how devastating. But, but Stephen, do you agree? To lose to Penn State would have been different because – the loss for Ohio State would have mattered, but losing to Iowa doesn't mean Iowa is now a better program than you. Losing to Penn State, Penn State can now start to make that argument. That's why I think this loss would have been worse for Ohio State because it would have fueled the rise of Penn State. We talked about this on the Notre Dame pod. When we did the Notre Dame, we talked about the fact that that might have been the moment where Ohio State finally passed Notre Dame. Now, this wouldn't have been the moment where Penn State would have finally passed over Ohio State, but it would have been a moment of, Okay, Ohio State has an equal, at least for the next couple of years, because what the ripple effects would have been in the recruiting 
and some of these recruiting classes, especially when you're looking at the talent that Ohio that, that Pennsylvania has in 2021 right now, how it maybe would have affected some of those decisions there. And we already spoke about Julian Fleming as well. Ohio in a world where Ohio State doesn't necessarily have an equal in the Big Ten, Penn State could have been that at least for a four or five year stretch. You know, it's at least one game a year where you know you're playing against another team who not only has been in the playoff, but is now a playoff contender year in and year out. But why would it only be a four or five year stretch? Penn State's a traditional power. Penn State has as yeah. good of a history as Ohio State does. They need to get over the, the hill right now. And if they're able to do this now and it lifts their recruiting, that's where it would have mattered. If it lifts their recruiting, where they start winning head to head battles against Ohio State, because why wouldn't they? Because they're on equal footing. Now you're going 2018, you're going into that 2018 game at Penn State. Now Ohio State's going to Penn State with a two-game losing streak against Penn State. Now Ohio State pulls that one out too, but there's another different kind of pressure on Ohio State going into that game if they had lost this game. That's why I think this game wound up being such a great retalkable because I didn't realize it before rewatching it. But Penn State's higher ranked. They had not yet had a loss. I really think this changes more changes Penn state's future, but Penn state's future affects Ohio state's future. So I think maybe we'd be at a place right now when we're doing tiers, maybe there's only, maybe we only have Clemson and Alabama in the first tier and then Ohio state and Penn state together are in tier 1.5. But if you're beating them on the field and then you're, and then as a result, now you're right there with them in recruiting. Why would you be a tier below? I just think that's what was on the line in this game. That's how much this comeback mattered. And especially, like, say they just hadn't come back at all, right? Not even – there's one thing they come back and, like, say Marcus Baugh – say JT Barrett overthrows Marcus Baugh in the end zone and they wind up, you know, not scoring at the end. But, like, there's also, like, the – say the Ben Victor fumble stands or say that a couple other things happen and they just lose by 20. And it's like, well, Penn State's just better. They had Saquon Barkley. Trace McSorley's a gamer. They just beat you, which is what it looked like for a while. That if there's never really a comeback at all, they just, Ohio State just loses by two scores, changes everything. I would argue changes everything, and we'd be feeling it today. Now, maybe Ohio State still does what it does, but I think Penn State's right on the, right with them. No longer chasing. I think they're right with them, and I think they blew that chance. And, and the way we've talked about it, is that a good or a bad thing for Ohio State? Because now you have it, say, going forward, if you have one loss season, but it's only the Penn State, and Penn State loses twice in the season, does that, you know? It's help bad. Your, yeah, yeah. You don't I want mean, Penn State to be better. Penn State's going to start yeah. beating you more. I mean, they're right there with you anyway. But if they start getting better players because of big wins, they're going to recruit better. They're going to beat you more. So yeah. I just think – I think that I didn't think that going in. That wasn't what was in my head. But after rewatching it, that's absolutely what's in my head, which is why this made it even better retalkable than I thought. I thought we were doing the great JT Barrett comeback. I did not realize we were doing the game that changed the modern Big Ten and that kept – as much as the 2016 game propelled Penn State, and it did, not winning in 2017 held back Penn mm-hmm. State. And that's why, that's why Penn State is where they are right now. Because they were propelled, but they didn't get the next step of propulsion. They only propelled one step. If this would have been back-to-back being propelled, they would have been undefeated number two going into November. They would have rolled, man. They would have rolled. And that would have made a different world for all of us. Loved it. 
just a fan of the retalkables. I like it. All right, we got a lot more Ohio State stuff coming your way. We'll do a couple more retalkables before the start of the season, but as you can tell, players are talking. Coaches are talking. There's a lot to deal with the current team. We enjoy doing it. We appreciate you guys being part of it. Text subscribers, 614-350-3315. Read cleveland.com slash OSU. Drop a review at Apple Podcasts. For Steven, for Nathan, I'm Doug. That was Ohio State's 39-38 win over Penn State in the 2017 season. And that was a Buckeye Retalkables. Retalkables.